Um, the floor, in case some of you are wondering why we're here and not next door, we're having the floor stained. And uh, they started work on Monday, and the weather actually was perfect. But uh, for some reason, the sealer uh, is not drying thoroughly. And so there's a few spots that are still tacky in there, and we didn't want to uh, mess the floor up. And uh, the guys doing it have already got some places they're going to have to come back and repair just because it just wasn't quite quite cured yet. So next Sunday we should be back in the building and, and you'll have a brand new floor to, uh, to stand on and to sit on. Amen? So it's, it's really nice. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, I hope all of you like the color. I especially hope my Aggie friends will not accuse me of a conspiracy because strictly by chance that the color came out the way it did. I won't say anything else. <laughs> really and truly, when I was looking at that color, I was thinking, that's a little bit too maroon looking for me. But, <laughs> but maybe, you know, maybe it's in the eye of the beholder. Maybe God's just, you know... Praise God. Everybody have a message, God, in case we use it today. <clears throat> I want to start today, I want to just read a scripture to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's not in your message, God. And I think they're trying to record this, so actually I'm not used to having this thing in my face here, but... Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says in verse 1, oh that, I, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And then I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, actually chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, I fear, I fear somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And he said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And Paul is talking to these believers that he, he saw birthed into the kingdom. And he said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I see that you have been drawn away or you're being drawn away from the simplicity which is in Christ. 
And I just, you know, last night with the Saturday night group, I just really challenged them about their passion. You know, do we as a church, does the church, not just Christ Fellowship, but does the church have the passion of its Savior, Jesus Christ? Do we have a passion for lost souls? You know, we're passionate people. We're passionate about a lot of things. We're passionate about our families, about our jobs, our careers, about the things that we love. We're passionate about football. You know, we were passionate yesterday when Texas was playing Oklahoma. And, you know, all that's fine and good. There's nothing wrong with, with those things in and of themselves until they begin to replace the true passion that we're to have. And that is a passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is not real complicated. It's, it's actually quite simple. And this is why Paul says, I, I fear that you've been deceived and taken away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And, you know, I've, been, I've been teaching a lot about the cross. You know, for several weeks we've been talking about the cross, about the church and how it relates to biblical community. Well, biblical community is just another word for the church. You know, we use the word church, but in our minds when we say church, we always want to think of a building or we want to think of something, but, but, but I think it's not natural, if I can use that term, for us to think when we say the church, to think of the people of God because we've been conditioned to, to think of church as something other than us. We are the church. You know, that's why it really doesn't matter whether we're meeting in a fellowship hall or the building next door, whether we have carpet or concrete. or It doesn't really matter because this is not the church. And sometimes we're, you know, we're so tied to our physical environment, and if the physical environment's not just right, you know, well, I can't receive from God. Well, I don't feel the anointing. Well, the spirit wasn't there. Uh, you know, we, we have all of these really just carnal things that we throw out there that have absolutely no meaning whatsoever. But we're moved by and we're drawn by and we're tossed to and fro through by all of these carnal things. And it shouldn't be that way. The gospel transcends that. The cross transcends all of that. And Paul is writing to these believers here and he's telling them, he said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I see you being drawn away in your desires, in your mind. You're being drawn away from Christ, the simplicity of Christ. Whether you're trying to gain something by the works of your flesh, you're trying to go back to the tree of the knowledge, you get an evil, you're trying to go back to the law, you're, whatever it is, you're going back to your old worldly desires and worldly lusts, whatever it is, you're being drawn away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And church, I want to challenge you this morning to come back to the simplicity, which is Christ. I want us to determine that we're not going to know anything except Christ and Christ crucified. Why? Why is that? Say, why, Pastor Jeff, do you keep talking about the cross in these things because I'm telling you the cross without the cross we have nothing we don't have anything church we may think we do and the cross isn't an event that happened 2,000 years ago and it's passed and done with 
The cross is eternal. The work of the cross is an eternal work. It's working right now. It's living and working in you right now. It's not something Jesus just did and now it's done and over with. And we hang our crosses on our wall or we hang it from our car mirror or we wear it around our neck so we can remember what Jesus did. Now listen, the work of the cross is an ongoing work. Because that's why Paul said this. He says, I die daily. It's why he said, I have purpose to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And see, if we're not careful, we can think of the cross as something that we do. I'm going to take the cross and I'm going to crucify my flesh. And I'm going to be a good person for Jesus. And I'm going to crucify my desires and I'm going to crucify And the cross can become something that we do, but it's never intended to be something that we do. The cross is not our work. The cross is God's work. But it's his work that transforms us. It's not your work or my work that transforms my life. See, if if I just see the cross as something that I use to get this flesh to come in line, then all I'm trying to do is to be good for God in my flesh. And I'm telling you, your flesh will never be good for God. It will never be acceptable to God. That's why the cross is a necessity. That's why we need to be reminded every day that this flesh, if I am born again, if I'm in Christ, this flesh has been crucified with Christ. It's dead. It's buried. It's gone. It's done away with. Say, yeah, but, but I'm living in it. Yeah, you're living in it, but it's, 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 it's never going to go beyond this earthly realm. Do you understand that? Do you know that this flesh, one way or the other, it's going to go to the grave or it's going to be transformed in the twinkling of an eye? But this flesh, as you and I know it, will never be acceptable to God. I don't care how you dress it up. I don't care how it behaves. It will never be acceptable because it's flesh. And it's of the sin nature, and it's of the old order. And why is the cross so necessary? The cross is so necessary because at the cross, you become a new creation. Because at the cross, you lose the sin nature, and you are given by his grace the very life and the very nature of Christ. You didn't do that. He did that. So therefore, that's why Paul says, we have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of works so that no one can boast of how good they are. See, the cross is not now my power to make me, enable me to live a holy life. You can't live a holy life. Do you understand that? You cannot live a holy life. There's only one person that can live a holy life, and he did live a holy life, and he's still living that holy life. You know what his name is? His name is Jesus. See, the cross is not given to you for you to live a holy life. Because, again, train this flesh to do whatever you can train it to do. The flesh will never be holy. Why? Because it's flesh. And it is, by nature, inherently unholy and unacceptable to God. So what am I left with? I'm left with nothing except to reckon it dead. 
to see it crucified, to understand that by his grace he has invited me to be crucified with him so that I can be raised with him. And when I'm raised with him, that old nature, that sin nature, that nature of sin and death that was crucified, it's left buried. And I'm raised just like Christ is raised. I'm raised in his newness of life. Not in my newness of life, but in his newness of life. So it's not my life at all. It's his life. It's his life that's working in me. Let me try this. Now, this is important. You might say, this is so basic. But see, we're not getting the basics. And if we can't get the basics, we can never move beyond. If we don't understand this basic truth, you know what's going to happen? The serpent in his, crafty, in his craftiness is going to come in and deceive us just like he deceived Eve. If we don't get the basic, if we don't get this truth that will set us free, the enemy and his craftiness and his subtleness and in his deceit will come in and deceive us. And this is important because there is a world out there lost who does not know Jesus. And I see the church so consumed with itself that it has forgotten there is a world out there lost. And if we can never come to the place that we get the revelation of our salvation in Christ and what it means to be in Christ and what Christ has done for us at the cross and that the work of the cross is continuing today, then we're going to always be focused on what it's going to do for me. Just like Eve was at that tree. I wonder what that fruit will do for me. It looks like it will please my taste buds, please my eyes, make me wise. And we're staring there at that thing, and we're pondering the whole time, what's it going to do for me? We can take the things of God. We can take the cross in and of itself. And we can make the cross something that becomes good for me. And I continually try to take the cross and, and use the cross to make this flesh come in line. No, I'm telling you what, the cross was never meant to make this flesh come in line. The cross was meant for one thing, it was to kill this flesh. To kill it, never to train it, never to make it good, to kill it. Dead, 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 dead. Buried to be left in the grave. That's what God wants you to consider your flesh, dead, buried, to be left and never to be picked up again. And so now, when you're crucified with him, what happens? You're raised with him. Isn't that what Paul says? Let's read Romans 6. I know this isn't in your message guide, but it's okay. Let's read Romans 6. Paul says, Do you not know that as many, Romans 6, 3, as many were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, can I just say something? Your baptism... Water baptism is important. But see, your water baptism is not what baptized you into his death. Your water baptism is a result of your faith. And it was your faith in Christ, in his death, in his work on that cross, in his resurrection. It was your faith in Christ 
that, that took you into that death and into that resurrection. Your baptism was just an outward symbol and sign of the reality of what? Your faith. And so Paul is saying, he's assuming that if you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized because of your faith in Christ. Your bab- dunking in that water doesn't do anything for you if, if you don't have the faith that, that brought you there to begin with. And so it's our faith in Christ. When we put our faith and we're baptized into Christ, that means we, we have consciously entered into Christ. We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. What does that mean, to walk in newness of life? I mean, can you guys remember? I can remember the point I came to faith in Christ. Some of you, maybe it happened when you were children, and and, and it doesn't mean you have to know exactly when and have this event. But if you can remember the point in time you came to faith in Christ, you, you know that when you looked in the mirror, you looked the same, right? I mean, nothing changed outwardly about this flesh, but yet something changed. Something very important changed. Something very miraculously happened to you. You are in a moment transformed from death to life. You are taken from a nature of sin and death and brought into the very nature and life of Christ himself. You were taken out of absolute unrighteousness and unholiness and you were brought into complete righteousness and complete holiness, not by what you did, but by what Christ did. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. See, we got to understand there's not anything we can do to, to, to give ourselves hope. We can deceive ourselves into thinking because we're good little boys and good little girls and we're keeping all the rules and regulations, God's going to accept us one day. Uh-uh. It ain't going to happen. You're only going to be acceptable for one reason. That's because you're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you're unacceptable. I don't care how good you are. And if you're in Christ and you're struggling... Your struggles are not going to keep you from coming into the presence of the Father. Your struggles aren't going to keep you out of heaven. They may rob you of what God wants you to have in this world. But I'm telling you what, your righteousness is not based on whether you struggle or not struggle. Your righteousness is based on what Christ did, period. That's it. That's it. And if you will by faith enter into that, I'm telling you what, and put your trust in that, the power of the Holy Spirit in you will begin to do a work of transformation. He's already done the transformation. Now look at this, Hebrews 2.14. Inasmuch then as we, the children, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death, through death, Jesus died on that cross. That through death, he might, Jesus might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Why is the cross important? Because the cross is what Jesus, it was through the cross that he overcame the power of death. It was through the cross that he destroyed him who had 
the power of death. And through that death on the cross, he released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So at the cross, Jesus destroyed him who had power, the power of death. He destroyed the devil. Now, did he literally destroy the devil? Is the devil annihilated today? Does he not exist anymore? He exists, doesn't he? Peter tells us he roams around. He walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He says, give no pulses. Don't give any place to the devil. He, he's not annihilated. He's still out there. But, but, but it says that he destroyed him who had the power of death. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, let's begin in verse 11. Colossians 2, 11. In him, here Paul uses very similar language to what he used in Romans. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, you understand that under the Jewish system, God commanded, he commanded Abraham to be circumcised. He commanded Moses, every Jewish male on the eighth day was to be circumcised. That flesh was to be cut away. It was a sign, it was a type and a shadow of a cutting away of the flesh. And in Jewish culture, if you weren't circumcised as a male, you weren't considered Jewish. You had to be. Paul says... We were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. How did we do that? Where did that happen? At the cross. At the cross. And, and where, is that, where is that symbolically manifest or made known? Well, Paul says in baptism. Buried with him in baptism is the sign of circumcision for the believer because baptism is my identification with the death and the burial of Jesus. I am saying through my baptism that I am crucified with Christ. I'm buried with Christ. I have put away the flesh. The flesh is gone. It's buried. It's dead. Why do we carry around dead things? Do you make a habit of carrying around dead things? You don't, do you? It's kind of gross, isn't it? But think about how much death we carry around with us all the time when we are living out of, thinking out of that old nature. That nature is death. It was crucified. It was buried. Why are we going back to death? See, this is why Paul tells us, renew your mind. See, you're in life. You can't go back to death. You're in life. That's why Paul says in Romans, there's not anything that can separate you from the love of God. I mean, God is love, and those who abide in God abide in love, for God is love. So if you're in the love of God, that means you are in God. And Paul says nothing can separate you from God. Why are you living as though you are? Why are you thinking as though you are? Why are you living as though you are back here when you have been taken out of sin and death and brought into the very life of Christ. And Paul says the cross, 
The cross is what I carry with me every day. The cross is my reminder every day that I am dead and Christ now lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. I have been crucified with him. So look, follow with me. Buried with him in baptism, verse 12, in which you also were raised with him through faith. Do you see that if you were crucified and buried with Christ, is there a question as to whether you were raised with Christ? Do you think there was ever a question when Jesus went to that cross? Do you think there was ever a question whether he was going to be raised from that tomb on the third day? Was there ever a question? No, there was never a question. There was never a question in God's mind. There was never a question in the mind of Christ. There might have been a question in the mind of his disciples, and obviously there was, because when Jesus was crucified and put in that tomb, every one of them, every last one of them were in doubt and unbelief. They thought it was done with, it was over. The hopes of their kingdom, the hopes of their Messiah, crucified and buried. And now, look what we're left with. We've burned all our bridges. We've been abandoned by our friends and our family because we followed this fanatic for three and a half years, and now he's dead. What do we do? Well, we'll go back to fishing. We'll hide out. We'll whatever. Do you, there was no faith in those guys. But I'm going to tell you what. There was never a doubt in the mind of Christ. There was never a, a doubt in the mind of God because it was foreordained. It was purpose. Jesus came to this earth to be crucified, and he was crucified so that he could be resurrected. And he was resurrected so that we could be ushered into that same resurrection because that is the only way that we can escape sin and death and come into newness of life. See, the cross is our doorway. The cross is our gateway. Remember, we talked about the altar and the temple, and the altar was always right there in line with the door leading to the sanctuary, to the very holy of holies. Why? Because you had to go to that altar before you could enter in to the presence of God. There had to be a cross before the house of God could be established. There had to be a cross before there could be a resurrection. There had to be a death before there could be new life. There had to be a cross before we could be brought into that. And the cross is not our work. The cross is the work of Christ. All we do is die the death. There is no work for us to do. There is a death for us to die. Who is it that works in us now? Is it you? Ah, Philippians 2 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It's God working in you. You're the vessel. Okay, follow with me so I don't get sidetracked here. Verse 13, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. Who made you alive together with him? He made you. Where were you and I, according to the word of God? We were dead. We were dead. In our sin, in the uncircumcision of our flesh, we were dead. Do you think you made the decision to become alive? Who made that decision? God made that decision. Who did the work on the cross that made it possible for you to become acceptable to God? Did you do that work or did I do that work? No, Jesus did that work. And he made us alive together with him, having forgiven 
all your sin. Do you realize that Jesus did that 2,000 years ago? Here we are living 2,000 years later. And 2,000 years before you ever committed a sin, Jesus had already paid for it. But I'll go you one better than that. Before he hung on that cross, before time began, before this earth was formed, it was in the mind of God that God would forgive your sin before you ever even were created. Do you understand why? You begin to get a revelation why it is called grace. It is grace by which we are saved through faith. How do we enter into that grace? Through faith. If you don't believe in what Jesus did, then it's not yours. If you're still trying to live out of your knowledge of good and evil and trying to be good for God, thinking that somehow your goodness is going to make you acceptable, you're still dead in your sin. And you have not received by faith what Christ has done for you. You've not entered into his life. And if you don't enter into his life, you don't have any life. Look at this. So you, here we are, dead in our sin, dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh. But yet, by his grace, he made us alive together with him. He forgave all of our sins. Look at verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Do you see that? Now, I, this is in your message, God, but don't, don't get distracted and go there necessarily. But I would encourage you to take this and, and work through this and, and then use the discussion questions on the back as a point of, of study and meditation. But I want you to see this. Look at verse 14. Having wiped out, Jesus wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us. Do you know that there was a requirement against you? There was a requirement. God made a requirement. He, he, he said, I am requiring something of you, man, woman. God gave us the law, and he showed us the requirement. And the law condemned us and indicted us. And the law made it impossible for us to meet the requirement. Do you realize that it is impossible for you to meet the requirement God has initiated. The handwriting of requirement that was against us, it is impossible for us to meet that. We've got a problem, don't we? God gave the law, not, not as a tool for us to become righteous. You know what the law is? The law was a magnifying glass that magnified our sinfulness that made our sinfulness so apparent that we couldn't miss it if we wanted to. Now you can take that law that's magnifying our sinfulness and you can try to use that law to become righteous if you want to, but you will fall short of that requirement every time because there is no way that you will ever be able to fulfill the requirement. And the more you try to fulfill it, you know what's happening? The more your sinfulness is magnified because the more you fail. Now, what's the enemy going to do? The enemy's going to try to deceive you into thinking that you're succeeding, isn't he? 
But the reality is, we're going to have to believe who? The enemy or God? See, we're right back where Eve was. We live in this place every day. The enemy is every day in our face just like Eve. he was with Eve. And the enemy challenges us every day, and he says, you're going to believe me or are you going to believe God? And see, the problem is, in our sin, because we were born with a sin nature, and because our mind still has that carnal side, whose mind do you have? We have the mind of Christ. Do you have another mind? You do. You still have the mind of the carnal nature. Did God erase all your memories? Did God erase everything that you believed and can you remember back what you used to believe? I can remember back what I used to believe about God. It was wrong, but I know what I used to believe. But now I have the mind of Christ. And, and when, I, when I see things and when I perceive things from the mind of Christ, I very clearly see where I was wrong. I very clearly see the error and the, the deception. And so what's got to happen? Do we have a spirit? Does man have a spirit? Yes, man does have a spirit. Now, when we were born again, did God get rid of our spirit? No. He made our spirit brand new, and our spirit is conformed in perfect unity and perfect conformity with his spirit. You, you, there's no separation there. My spirit is, is just exactly like the spirit of God. That's why I am righteous. See, my flesh doesn't make me righteous. It's my spirit. That's why Jesus said in John 4, 23, listen to what Jesus said. It is neither now on this mountain or in Jerusalem at the temple that we worship God. For God is a spirit. and Those who worship him must worship him where? In spirit. See, I don't worship God with his flesh. Because God does not accept my flesh. God doesn't recognize my flesh. You know what my flesh is to God? It's dead. Now I know I live in it still. But I'm telling you what. I worship God with my spirit. How do I know that? Because that's what Jesus told me. Because that's what the Bible says. Now are you going to believe what you feel? Are you going to believe what other people tell you? Are you going to believe what God tells you in his word? Well, I don't know about you. I'm going to believe what God tells me in his word. So I worship him in spirit and in truth. Who's the truth? Christ. He is the truth. I'm in the truth. If I'm in Christ, I'm in the truth. The truth isn't my, my ideas. It's not my organized thoughts. They're true or not true. Christ is the truth. If I'm in the truth, I'm in Christ. If I'm in the spirit, guess where I am? I'm in Christ. Now, I can worship God. Why? Because I'm in Christ. Because I am now in spirit and in truth. Because now I am spirit and he's spirit. I used to be before I was born again. What was I? I was flesh. My spirit was dead to God. My flesh is death. It's, a, it's an abomination to God. How could I worship God when I was in sin and death? I couldn't. Because God won't accept my flesh. And my spirit is dead to him. There was no way for me to worship God. Now, I might have thought I was worshiping God. I can remember going to church when I was a kid. 
And I thought I was worshiping God, but I wasn't worshiping God. The enemy wanted me to believe I was worshiping God. I, it was impossible for me to worship God. Why? Because I was dead. God doesn't, he doesn't have anything to do with dead things. But when I was brought into life in Christ, now I am in spirit and in truth. Guess what? I worship God now. But it's not about whether I'm clapping or... Now, I love expressive worship. I like to shout. I like to clap. I like to raise my hands. Because, you know, my spirit inside, my spirit is yearning to worship God. My spirit yearns. My spirit is in constant fellowship with the spirit of God. They live as one. But I'm telling you, God wants me to worship with my whole being. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. I know this flesh will never be acceptable to God. It's going to pass away one day. But I'm telling you what, I'm living in this earth suit right now. And as long as I'm living in it, I want God to know my worship. I want my worship to be seen. By those around me. I want the spirit inside of me. The truth that I live in. The spirit that I live in. I want that to be known by those around me. God doesn't accept my flesh. But I'm telling you what. I live in the flesh. But I'm not of the flesh. I live in this world. But I'm not of this world. But as long as I'm in this flesh. And as long as I'm in this world. God wants the expression of his life and his spirit in us to be known by those around us. So keep going with me. So he's wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, taken it out of a way, nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, look at this. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Do you see that having disarmed? Now, now do you remember what it said in Hebrews 2.14? Jesus, through his death, destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So in Hebrews 2.14, it says that Jesus destroyed the devil. In Colossians 2.15, it says that he disarmed powers and principalities. What does that mean? What does that mean? What is, what, someone tell me what another name for Satan is. Huh? Lucifer, the devil, what does he do before God? He, he's the accuser of the brethren. That's a name for Lucifer. He is the accuser of the brethren. How did Jesus Christ disarm powers and principalities? How did he disarm him? Do you know that he disarmed his ability to accuse you? There is no accusation he can bring anymore against you he can't do it because jesus took away the requirement jesus met the requirement see god didn't say well we're just going to forget that requirement we're just going to pretend like i never gave moses that law we'll just pretend like that part of the bible doesn't exist i'm god i can do whatever i want no the very fact that he is God, he cannot do whatever he wants. He is bound by his nature, and he is bound by his character. And his very character says justice must be fulfilled. And when God gave the law, he said the law must be fulfilled. 
Who's going to fulfill it? Here's the requirement. And guess what? No one was ever able to fulfill it until Jesus Christ came. And Jesus Christ fulfilled the requirement. And he took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. And the requirement is gone. God is satisfied. You know why? Because the requirement has been met. Where? In Christ. So why are you and I still trying to meet the requirement? Why are we trying to do what's impossible? What we need to do is just die, be buried, and let God raise us and bring us into the life of Christ. And we meet the requirement because why? Because we're in Christ. Now, if, if, if I'm acceptable, guess what? That means all of me is acceptable, right? So is my hands part of me? My hands acceptable because I'm acceptable, right? If you're in Christ, you are the body of Christ. You're acceptable. Why? Because you're in Christ. Because you are part of his body. Not because you're acceptable. See, if, if, if the whole body's acceptable, the head's acceptable, the body's acceptable. It's one body. Do you understand why Paul writes what he writes, why the scripture gives us this truth and tells us stop living as if you're not connected? Stop living as if you're not part of the body? Stop living as if you're out here doing your own thing, trying to create your own righteousness, fulfill your own requirements? Because you think, you, you know why we have so many different belief systems today? There's only one truth. There's lots of belief systems, but there's only one truth. So when the enemy comes, he's disarmed. Why? Because the requirement is not there anymore. Because God was satisfied when Jesus Christ, his holy son, met the requirement. And when I was crucified with Christ and buried with Christ, I wasn't raised as Jeff Ripple. I was raised as the son of God. Given the, the life, I am a son of God. I am in the son. God the father only knows me by who? By Jesus. He doesn't know me as Jeff Ripple. Because where is Jeff Ripple? He's dead and buried. So when the enemy comes to accuse Jeff Ripple, does sin have power over a dead man? How do you know that? Did I just make that up, or is that what the Word of God says? It's exactly what Paul says in Romans. He says, sin has no power over a dead man. So when the devil comes to accuse me of sin, you know what God says? I don't know what you're talking about. That dude died. He was in sin, and he's dead now because of his sin. But see, I was crucified with Christ. I can say with the Apostle Paul, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's Christ who lives in me. So when I come and stand before the Father, does God know me or does he know his Son? He knows his Son. And I am in the Son. And he accepts me because I am part of the Son, because I'm in the Son. I never fulfilled anything. I never met any requirement. The only thing I did was the only thing I could do. That was die on that cross with Jesus. 
and allow the power of God to raise me up and give me a new life. Not my life, now new and improved. Not, God didn't even give us the spirit of God so that now we could, get, so we could live sinless lives. No. He gave us the spirit of God because I, I've got to have the life of the son. If I'm not in the son, I have no hope. So the enemy comes. He is disarmed. He has no ammunition. He's walking around carrying a gun, but there's no bullets in it. Now, before, before that requirement was met, he had the power. He had the power to kill us. Because there was a requirement against us. And we failed. And that's why the Bible says we were in death. We were trapped in death. Now, are you tracking with me? So why is the cross so very important? Now, listen to me. It's important for us to understand. See, it's not you and I. It's Christ in us. It's Christ in us. And so now what does, what does the cross do? The cross reminds me of the victory that Christ has won me. By his death, he destroyed him who had the power of death. See, the cross is not my instrument to try to become righteous. The cross is, my, is the instrument that, that was used to crucify me, to bring me into life. And now that I am in life, the cross is my reminder of the victory that Christ won by his death. The cross is the reminder that there is no longer a requirement against me. The cross is my reminder that the powers and principalities of hell have been disarmed. They have no power over me except to do one thing, and that is to what? That is to deceive. If you walked into a 7-Eleven with a revolver, if you were standing behind that counter, a clerk, and someone walked in with a gun, Nine millimeter and pointing at you said, give me every bit of the money in that register. I'm going to blow your head off. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd open up the register and say, have at it, buddy. Amen. Have at it, buddy. But, but what if I knew, what if I knew that gun wasn't real? Or what if I knew <laughs> there wasn't any bullets in that gun and th there was absolutely nothing that guy could do to me? That, now, that would be a different story, wouldn't it? That would be a wholly different story. But see, if the enemy can convince you that he still has power to kill you, well, he might as well have the power, right? If you don't know the gun's not loaded, if you think the gun is loaded, you're going to act like the gun is loaded, aren't you? See, the enemy's trying to get you to believe the gun is loaded. But God is telling you, I have disarmed the enemy. There is no requirement against you any longer. You have the life of my son. You have my spirit living in you. Remember I said at the beginning, God is in this place? You know why God is in this place? Not because he likes the color we painted the walls. No, God is in this place because you're in this place. Jesus said, where two or more gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. I said last night, wherever I am, there's four of us. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and me. So wherever I go, there's four of us. So I know wherever I am, God is there. He's right there. 
Because the person of the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and me, that makes four. That means God. Wherever I go, God is there. I'm telling you what, God is in this place. Why? Because you're in this place. And wherever you go as a child of God, God is with you because you're in him. And I'm telling you what, the creator of heaven and earth is in this place right now. But see, we don't live with that revelation. We don't live with that reality. But yet, if I was standing here and God manifest as some great big giant glowing you know, person holding a big old sword and, and light rays were going, boy, we'd all fall down and we'd, we'd just be petrified. We'd be, oh my God, God showed up. We'd call the newspaper. We'd tell everybody we knew, come to Christ's fellowship because God is in that place. Yet God is here right now and we don't even recognize it. We don't even recognize it. Go, go, to, go to Isaiah 43, Brother Allen used this scripture last Saturday. Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Behold, I will do a new... I'm telling you what. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, when he was resurrected, that was a new thing. That had never been done before. The Son of God had never been crucified before. The Son of God had never been resurrected before. When God poured out his spirit at Pentecost, that had never been done before. And we are living in the day the prophets wrote about. And God is not some spirit moving throughout the earth. God is in this earth because he dwells in his people. And I ask you, just like the prophet asked here, shall you not know it? See, God is in this place. God, more than that, God is in you. Shall you not know it? Do you not know that God is in you? I'm not part of God, not some of God. I'm telling you what, all of God is in you. Colossians, go back to Colossians. Let's use some deductive reasoning here. God gave us a brain. Colossians 2.9 Speaking of Jesus... For in him, in Christ, dwells all, say all, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Where does the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwell? In Christ. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In Christ dwells all the fullness Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives where? In me. And what is in Christ? Part of the fullness? All the fullness. So if in Christ all the fullness dwells, and if Christ dwells in me, am I lacking anything? It's exactly why Paul says, you are complete 
in him. Complete what? You are completely righteous. You are completely holy. You are completely powerful. Now, it brings me to the question I had last night. Do you guys believe that's true, by the way? Don't believe it because I said it. Believe it because it's what the Word of God says. If you believe that's true, you have the answer. Do you believe that you have the answer to the problem of sin and death? Yes, you do. I didn't say you could save anybody because you can't. But you know what the answer is. His name is Jesus. You believe that God is in this place right now? Yes. You believe that when you leave and you go out, God's with you? Part of God or all of God? All. Are you lacking in anything? According to the scripture, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. You notice through the knowledge. There is this matter, and I can't, don't have time to go into it. But this matter of the renewing of the mind. See, the problem is not the reality that we're in Christ and that we're righteous and holy. The problem is my mind. My mind keeps wanting to go back to the sin and death nature. My mind keeps wanting to go back to the knowledge of good and evil. My mind keeps wanting to live from that tree. Why? Because that was my nature. I need to crucify. I need to remind myself daily that that nature has been crucified. And I need to renew my mind according to the mind I have now been given, which is the mind of Christ. I need to renew this mind now according to the nature that I have by grace now been given, which is the very nature of God, the very life of Christ. That's what I have now. So my mind needs to be renewed to that reality, not the former reality, because that former man is crucified and gone. He's passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so now we're complete in him. So my question is, church, where is our path? Where is our passion for the gospel? See, I go back to what Paul said. I, I, I fear that someone has come and taken you away for the, from the simplicity which is Christ. Why do we want a purpose to know anything and everything, but we just relegate Christ and him crucified to just some basic idea that we're, we're past that? Can you ever get past that? I said last night, I asked, I asked the people last night, and I, I'm telling you, I asked myself this question. Before I asked them last night and before I asked you this morning, I asked myself. And I think of Jesus standing over Jerusalem and weeping. And I asked myself, when is the last time I stood over Taylor and I wept over Taylor? Because of the lost souls. It's been too long. And we get passionate about anything and everything. But where is our passion? Where is the passion that Jesus had for the lost and the dying, for you and I? See, when we were dead in our trespass and the uncircumcision of our flesh, Jesus made us alive with him. He forgave our sins. It was his passion that took him to that cross. It was his passion that caused him to endure the suffering and the shame Even though he despised it, Hebrews says, he endured it for the joy that was set before him. That was the redeemed. That's the company of the redeemed. 
And we've been put in this earth and we have been given the spirit of God. I mean the God of all creation, the fullness of the creator God of the universe lives on the inside of us through Jesus Christ and by his spirit. He's in us. And we've been put here to be his witnesses, to be the expression of his life. Even through these unclean vessels of flesh, God has chosen to manifest himself in his life through these vessels called bodies. We are just vessels to manifest his life. And I'm saying, church, where is the passion for the lost? When is the church going to stop looking for what she can get from God and praying for more? Why do we keep praying for more? More what? God is saying, go and get some more souls. He has given you his spirit. He has poured his spirit out on all flesh. I'm telling you what. Joel was fulfilled in totality right there on the day of Pentecost. I believe it. Because Jesus said in Luke 11, if you ask the Father, he will give you the Spirit. In other words, God has poured his Spirit out and it is now available to all who will by faith ask him. It's available. And if you ask, believe that you've received. When you ask for salvation, did you believe you received it? I hope so. And you can't be saved apart from his Spirit. You believe you walk in the fullness of his power? If the fullness of God's in you, do you not walk in the fullness of his power? Why don't we believe it? We of all people, there should be something burning on the inside of us. Do you believe that people without Jesus are dying and going to hell? Do we really believe that? I know we say we believe it. But if you walked out this door and saw a house burning there and you saw a baby sitting in the doorway of that burning house, would you run over there and get that baby out of that doorway? Sure. Why? Because if you didn't, you knew that baby would die. But yet we encounter people all the time who don't know Jesus. And we say we know they're going to die if they don't know Jesus, but... But why is there no urgency? And listen, I'm not telling you this as a point of condemnation. Don't receive condemnation. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm being challenged. And I'm like Paul. I'm thinking something has drawn us away. We, we've allowed some false gospel or some, something to come in and, and take us away from the urgency and the reality of what's happening in the earth. People are being deceived every day. People think that they're okay. You don't have to go to some third world country to find people that don't know Jesus. They're all around us right here. Just because they know the name of Jesus, just because they've heard about Jesus, you think they really know him? No. You know how many people? Everybody in Jerusalem knew about Jesus. But God says start in Jerusalem. Why? Because just because they knew about him didn't mean they knew him big difference and here's my challenge don't let the enemy come in and deceive you 
can distract you and draw you away into so many things. Let's return to the simplicity of Christ. Let's purpose to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Not just so that I can have the security of knowing that I'm going to go to heaven one day, but I'm telling you what, to know that God has put His Spirit in me and He's placed me in this earth. He's placed me in this place for such a time as this because now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. And if we're not going to make Him known, then who's going to do it? If we're not going to make Him known, who will make Him known? God gave His Spirit to His people so that they had boldness to be witnesses. See, a lot of people are dealing with fear. They're fearful of what others are going to think. Listen, just go to the Lord. If you will sincerely ask God to give you a boldness, to give you a passion for lost souls, He will answer that prayer. But you're going to have to take a step of faith. See, if, if every Sunday we came in here and there was some big, gigantic angel standing behind me as I preached with the sword drawn, I mean, it, it wouldn't take one Sunday, there'd be people standing outside the doors waiting to get in to see the angel stand behind the pastor as he preaches. We have more faith in angels than we do God. We have more faith in some kind of physical manifestation. You just told me earlier that, that you believe God was in this place. The creator of heaven and earth was in this place because he lives in you. Well, if you believe that, my question is, if I believe that, the question of myself is, then why am I not living like that? And if I believe I have the answer to life and death, then why am I not making that answer known to those who are still in death? So I challenge you, church. See, we're not here to be... God did not give us this gospel so we could become successful, prosperous, happy people. I hope you're successful, I hope you're prosperous, and I hope you're happy. But he gave us this gospel, he imparted this truth to us, because he cares about the life and the death of people. And humanity was caught in death with no way out. And he has made his gospel known to deliver us from death. And he has given us the key to life so that we also can make it known. And if you're successful, prosperous, and happy along the way, then that's great. Don't take this gospel and turn it into something that was never meant to be. Let's use it for what it was given to us. And it was given to us to, so that we could make it known and see men and women and children come into the kingdom and escape sin and death and be eternally joined and find life in their maker, Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. On Sunday nights, we're doing going through a Bible study. It's already started, but anybody's welcome.
deals with the very foundational principles. It's, 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 it's one of the most transforming studies you'll ever go through. And I would encourage you. I, you know, I have people all the time, I wish we had more Bible studies, Pastor Jeff. I said, man, you know, we'll join one then. And so we start Bible studies, then, you know, but I'm telling you, if you're serious, Caleb made a good point last night. He's not here to share it, and I can't re say what he said. But bottom line is, God gave us this word, and he challenges us to learn this word. Now, you know, we can be lazy, and we all want to get a touch from God. But I'm telling you what, God says get in this word and go line upon line, precept upon precept. Rightly divide this word and learn this word, because this is his word to you. When Jesus gave the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and that, that, that rich man is in hell, and he says, let me go back and give a word to my brothers so that they will know. Jesus said, no. If they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, in other words, they've got the word. If they don't believe the word, they're not going to believe some word that you're going to give them. The church today is eternally looking for a word. I want a word from God. I want He gave it to you right here. And listen. If this does not suffice, he'll give you another one. It may be through a donkey. It may be through your neighbor. If you need a word, God will give it to you. But don't forsake this scripture that by blood was passed down to you and preserved for you. Learn this word. And you'll learn the truth. And you'll get set free. Amen? Father, we just ask right now. Lord, even as the prophet said in Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I do a new thing. Don't remember the former things? Lord, you've done a new thing. Lord, you sent your son. He died on a cross. He was resurrected. You poured out your spirit. And all who by faith will enter in, God, you will make them sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, the question is, do we perceive it? Do we perceive, does the church perceive what you have done? Can we see, do we know, do we have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ? And I pray, Father God, that you would deliver us from all of the things, Lord, that take us away from the one thing that's most important, that is Christ and Him crucified, the simplicity which is in Christ. And Father, I pray that you would give us a passion, Lord, to make this gospel known, to make this life of Christ known to those who are still dead in their sin. And Father, I pray that you would give us a passion, give us the heart of Jesus, the passion of Jesus for those that are lost, that they may be found and brought into your kingdom. Lord, it is yet day, but the night is coming when no man can work. God, help us to discern the times that we're living in. This is the time. This is the day. Lord, you are calling laborers into the field. Let us pray for those laborers to go out and bring in the harvest, Father God, for the glory of your kingdom and the glory of your name in Jesus' name. Name, amen. Praise God.